today we're going to learn about sound effects for video games. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore and tune in for the occasional Game Dev stream on twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. We also have an open community discord where we do challenges and discuss game dev and do a whole bunch of other fun things. And there's an open invite link for that in the show notes. Lastly, in the intro, I did want to mention this is the 50th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. It's a big milestone. There was a time when I didn't even know if I think I say on the 10th episode, like I'm still not sure if I am going to continue doing it. But yeah, here we are 50 episodes later. And I've really come to like doing the Game Dev Field Guide and all the people I've met and the friendships I've made over on the Discord. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for listening and giving me your time to listen to my ramblings about game development. So thank you and happy 50th episode. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I pick a prompt or some kind of challenge for the listeners to do, and then they put in their submissions on the community Discord, and the community votes on them, and the one with the most votes wins and gets read live on the show. For episode 49's Game Dev Challenge, I asked you guys to talk about projects that failed that you were working on and maybe give us a little bit of insight onto why you think they failed. Episode 49 was all about how to finish projects and we identified some common themes and things that just happen that make projects fail. And yeah, I thought it'd be a good time for you guys to talk about your experiences and the projects that you had that failed and maybe we could all learn from it. So anyways, the episode 49 Game Dev Challenge winner is Defrag. Defrag's post says the following. I had an idea for a Space Invader-ish roguelike. The prototype phase went quickly, and I thought the core game loop was compelling enough to keep working on it. However, as I added more and more features that were beyond the original scope, and maybe even my abilities at the start of the project, I started to accumulate lots of technical debt. Every new weapon or enemy seemed to require a bunch of kludges to make work. Eventually, I realized that I had to refactor a ton of the damage and weapon systems to make further weapon and enemy additions, or to even troubleshoot existing entities. Unfortunately, the motivation to pay off that technical debt just wasn't there. I published what I had accomplished to itch and then moved along. I think that I now could accomplish in a week what had then taken me months. And I think this is a classic example of running out of motivation due to scope creep. And what I really appreciate about Defrag's post is he identifies what mainly contributed to that. And that was the technical debt of having to basically recode things and reworks work that he already had. There's nothing more defeating to the motivation 
I think, than having to redo work you've already done. And this is why a plan is so important. At some point, I know we talk about the planning phase of game development and planning your work so that it all kind of, all the puzzle pieces mesh together and you don't have to redo things is really good for your motivation and really good for your efficiency. And I think above all, it kind of helps you avoid this problem where you lose motivation because you're having to redo stuff that you've already done especially when it's something like extremely tedious. That sometimes is something that gets me and uh, yeah, is really a good way to run down your motivation. So congrats to Defrag for winning the episode 49 game dev challenge that does now make Defrag tied for first all-time wins of the game dev challenge with four. He is tied with Froglegs who won many of the first challenges. So yeah, congrats to him. I'm looking forward to more of his posts, and I'm sure he will move into sole ownership of first place uh, at some point in the future. If you want to start chasing first place or even just get one win on the leaderboard for the Game Dev Challenge, maybe consider joining the 50th episode Game Dev Challenge. You can do so by jumping on over to the community Discord. There's a link in the show notes and submitting your post to the Game Dev Challenge channel. For the 50th episode, the challenge will be make multiple sound effects and explain what they are used for. It's kind of an open-ended challenge and we're going to talk about how to use sound effects, what they're used for, and how to even make them. Uh, But I wanted to leave this one open-ended because we're going to discover that sound effects is definitely an art and I didn't want to constrain anyone's art. I kind of want to leave it up to you to be as creative as possible. And I think this one will be really fun because I'll actually be able to play the the winning submissions on air. So that'll be really cool. And yeah, this might be one that I even join myself because I think it'll be really fun. So if that sounds fun to you, like I said, just go join the community Discord and submit your posts to the Game Dev Challenge channel. If you don't know how to make sound effects or don't really have any good ideas yet, let's talk about it in the body of today's episode, and I'm sure you'll come away with some inspiration and some knowledge on how to make them. So let's start then on the body of the episode. Today's episode is a topic that I've been saving for a really long time, and of course you know now by the title and by me mentioning it, today's episode is on sound effects for video games. And I think it's perfect because for once I can actually show you what I'm talking about, and by that I mean when I'm talking about a related subject, I can give examples that you don't have to interpret with your imagination. For example, when I'm describing like a game mechanic, you kind of have to imagine that in your head. But now I can talk about the satisfaction and delight that comes from the Mario pickup sound, and then I can do this. And you can hear the satisfaction and delight I'm talking about. So yeah, I'm excited for those opportunities. I'll probably overdo it, but (laughs) just let me have this this one time because this is one of the few things that I can actually do that for. So today's episode is going to be split into two halves. 
In the first half, we're going to talk about the purpose of sound effects and tips for using them in your games. And in the latter half, we're going to be more focused on tips for actually making the sound effects. I'm going to mention some methods, some techniques, and some software that you can use. So yeah, let's start and get into tips for using sound effects in your game. First, I think we have to identify what exactly sound effects are. At their core, sound effects are audio cues that inform the player as to what is happening. They are basically another form of feedback in addition to the visual feedback of what is happening on the screen. I admittedly used to not really appreciate the value of sound effects, the value they can bring to your game that is, but once I started to really understand all the ways you can use them, I realized how powerful they can be. There are tons of nooks and crannies to put sound effects in your game that really improve the quality, but there's also some situations where sound effects are a requirement and can do things that other forms of feedback cannot. And this use of in-game or gameplay-oriented sound effects is the first use case for sound effects that I want to talk about. Sound effects are great for situations where you want to tell the player something they can't actually see. The first example I have for you for this actually comes from my game, Bounce Shot. Bounce Shot is a puzzle FPS where you're put into a small level and have to race to the finish. You have to bounce all of your shots into various droids and switches, and it's key to note that you have to hit all the droids and figure out all the switch puzzles before you can exit the level and stop the timer. Now when you hit that last droid or last switch, the exit portal lights up green. This is visual feedback to tell the player, okay, you've got everything, now you should run to the exit. But oftentimes I found that the exit portal wasn't in view of the player due to the complexity of the puzzles or droid positions. I mean, if you think about it, if I wanted to only use visual feedback to tell the player when to run to the exit, I would have to make sure that all the puzzles ended and the last droid was always near the exit so that when the player hit them, the green flash or green light at the exit portal was in view. That way the player could always visually confirm, okay, I got everything. But instead of constraining my puzzles and droid positions so that it was like this, I decided to add this audio cue. In addition to the green light. This way the player can confirm without having to directly look at the exit portal that it's open. As long as they hear that noise, then they know, okay, I've got everything. Effectively, it works just like the green light, but you don't have to look at it. This allowed for much more flexible and interesting level design. I had a lot more freedom to design because I wasn't tied to the visual-only feedback. While I think this method was simple and effective, it's only really the beginning of what audio cues can do. Whole game features and gameplay can take place inside the audio of your game. Let's take Fortnite for example. I want you to close your eyes and imagine you're playing Fortnite. Maybe you just landed and you're searching the first house you get into, and you stop for a second and listen, and you hear this. You don't really even have to know how the game works, but this audio cue is telling you something. And for you headphone listeners, it might have told you two things. 
The sound itself evokes wonder, mystery, and it's attractive, telling you that it represents something good. And the second thing, if you have headphones on, is that the audio is telling you where it's at. I pan the sound to the left ear, and essentially this is a directional cue to the location of the sound. Now this is basically how Fortnite loot chests work. They are hidden chests with a 3D spatial sound cue. The chests are not exactly hidden in plain sight and require a little bit of looking. And to try and sort of help with the uh, hot and cold style hint, the designers use this audio cue to point you in the right direction. I think this is a really good use of 3D spatial audio to sort of enhance the gameplay. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is the actual sound design itself. I bet I didn't really even have to explain to you about the chest because you can just tell by the sound that it's something good. Like, I don't know how to explain it perfectly, but the sound sounds shiny and sparkly. Listen to it again, this time with no spatial cue, and uh, yeah, think about what I said, a sound that sounds shiny and sparkly. Do you see what I mean? It sounds like it's shimmering or something. You can almost get a sense by hearing it what it looks like. It's like giving you visual feedback with your imagination by using your ears. Anyways, that's kind of a tangent, but I think it's a great example of good sound design. And it goes back to my golden rule of like evoking some kind of emotion or feeling. Uh, with everything you do, and sound design is no different. But yeah, let's get back to the original point. Um, spatial audio is an extremely powerful tool for game design. Let's look at it in another context. How about in horror games? Oftentimes, horror is about building tension. In fact, I talk about this very thing in episode 18, the genre study of horror, which, fun fact, I think is the only other episode I use sound effects in. Uh, but that's just because audio is key for horror games. Horror gameplay is usually centered around hearing the monster before you see it. Hearing it first allows you to build that tension and offer the player some counter gameplay. And this is the kind of gameplay that you play with your ears and not your eyes. And I think what's special about this kind of gameplay is that 3D spatial audio gameplay is actually really intuitive. Since most people have been subconsciously training their 3D spatial audio skills their whole life. You know how you can just like tell the direction something's moving by hearing it? Or maybe you can hear how full a glass of water is when you pour it late at night in the dark? Well these represent skills and opportunities for gameplay that pretty much everyone who can hear has. Lately, I've been playing a lot of Escape from Tarkov, and there was a time in my life where Rainbow Six Siege took up an immense amount of my life, and both of these games are FPSs with a huge focus on spatial audio. Your ability to listen, recognize sounds, and locate people via audio is as important and maybe even sometimes more important than the actual shooting skill. Also, conversely, your ability to not make sounds and use sounds as bait is almost as important as well. And I hope that you can see that because of this, in addition to the actual visual shooting part, 
a whole part of the game is played in the audio. So I hope now that when you are designing a game, you consider the audio options to aid your core game loop. And so far, we've just really talked about the very upfront sort of mainstream ways to use audio in game design. But earlier I mentioned nooks and crannies to use audio. And I think this is where I want to talk about a term that I use called audio juice. Audio juice is just sort of a catch-all term for all the little nooks and crannies you can put audio to improve the quality of your game. And while I don't think they are make or break, they're definitely a nice touch. So here are some examples from games that I'm sure you know, and these are sounds I'm sure you've probably heard before, and maybe never really appreciated until you would have realized maybe they weren't there. How about when a player picks up an item in a game or collects something, think about all the iconic sounds that aid this very simple action. Let's talk about the rings in Sonic. Finding a chest with an item in The Legend of Zelda. Or picking up a item in Kingdom Hearts. These sounds are small and minor, but offer additional confirmation that the player did indeed pick up an item, and I can't imagine these games without this sort of extra little sound fanfare. You can also use this form of audio juice to accent something. This works great in games with critical hits. Let me play these next sounds for you, and I bet you can tell just by listening to them that they indicate something important has happened, something big has happened, like a critical hit. Here's one from Team Fortress 2. And here's a sound from Super Smash Brothers. These sounds are punchy and add juice to the visual elements of which they represent. There's no mistaking when you get a big hit in either of these games. It's super clear, by both the audio and visual working together, and it just feels really juicy. And the last example I have today of using audio juice and these little audio cues in the nooks and crannies is actually just a way to really polish things and make it feel nice and look nice and sound nice. And that example is menu clicks. I don't know if that's a general term, that's just a term I use, but basically it's all the little noises that the menu screens make, the buttons make, and here's some really good examples. The first one is from Fallout. And as you can hear, it's all the little, like, I don't know, old-school computer noises that the Pip-Boy makes, which is your main way of interacting with your inventory and your player stats. And it really sells, like, the world that this is weirdly old-school technology that's also futuristic. It just sounds really good and makes the menus feel almost like they live in the world of the game you're playing. I think the all-time greatest, like if there was an award for best menu clicks 
of the year or of all time, it would almost always go to a game in the Final Fantasy series. I don't know what it is about Final Fantasy, but it has the most satisfying menu click audio juice. Here is an example of all the various noises the menu makes in Final Fantasy 13. And if you're a Final Fantasy fan, I'm sure you have a favorite menu click sound because there's just so many that are extremely satisfying. These menu click sound effects are definitely not necessary, but make interacting with the menus so much more, I don't know if fun is the right word, but definitely better. They kind of help sell the tone and ambiance of the game, and they're even in like non-gameplay menus, maybe that's in like the settings or something. It's just a little thing that really shows a lot of polish and a high-quality game. And it's an example of finding nooks and crannies to put small sound effects that really takes your game to the next level. So yeah, if you're building a game and you've gotten to the audio part, I would suggest looking for these nooks and crannies and places to put audio juice because I think you'll find that although it seems like a little thing, uh, audio juice goes a long way. Now, I know what you might be thinking now. Well, if audio juice goes a long way, then I'm just going to fill my game with as many sound effects as possible. And if you do that, you're going to end up with a game where... Let's say you have a level up sound effect and you hit a critical to kill a boss with a spell and all of these things have associated sound effects. You're going to end up with just a bunch of noise. You want to have sound effects without creating distracting noise. And oftentimes with sound effects, less is actually more. You can achieve this by going with a minimalist style and carefully picking and choosing where you use sound effects so they cut clear through the noise and you can make them short and subtle. Or you could use a lot of sound effects and maybe programmatically decide which are the most important and just kind of mute the others when multiple come up. There's lots of ways to do it, but I just wanted you to be conscious of overdoing it with sound effects, especially after listening to this episode. I hope it gets you excited about using sound effects and you use a lot of them, but yeah, just be conscious of overdoing it. So now that I hope you have some ideas of where and how to use sound effects, but let's talk about actually making them. This is something that I'm still experimenting with and learning, but I wanted to bring some methods and tools to your attention. For my last, like, four or five games, I've made most, if not all, the sound effects for the game. So I think I have found some good methods and techniques, and the first one I want to talk about is by far the easiest to use and quickest, and it's a sound generator. Sound generators will generate sounds in often the chiptune style, so they're great for retro-inspired indie games. Especially if you're doing something like a game jam, this is a really easy tool to use really quick and I think is essential for a game jam game. The tool I use specifically is called the BFXR. Uh, but there's a bunch of sound generators out there, each with kind of their own little twist. 
but basically they all come with preset settings that are slightly randomized so that you can click on one of the presets to get close to the sound you want and then you can dial it in from there. So let's say for instance I want to do a coin pickup noise. I can open BFXR and I can go to the pickup slash coin preset and I can click it a few times to see what I want to get. So let me just try that. Okay, so that last one was pretty close to what I want. I'll play it again. Okay, that's pretty good. Now, what I can do on BFXR is mess with all the different settings. For instance, one I like to do is the frequency. Let's slide the frequency down a little bit and hear it again. Let's go a little bit lower. That's too low. Let's go up a little bit. I like that right there. That sounds pretty good. Maybe a little bit higher. There we go. That sounds good. Another one I like to mess with is harmonics. Now, admittedly, there's like 20 settings on here. So, um, I mean, 20 is even too low. There's a lot of settings on here. So, um, I don't know what all of them do, but harmonics is one that I sometimes like to play with, and it doesn't sound good with everything, but let's try and mess with the harmonics. Ooh, see, that gets real, that gets real nasty. Maybe harmonics is something we don't want. We can also switch the kind of synth we use. Uh, if you're aware of this kind of stuff, then I'm sure this makes a lot more sense to you. I just like to uh, kind of click around and see what I like. Like that one doesn't really make any sense. Ooh, I kind of like the whistle setting. That sounds pretty clean. Let's try one more setting. Let's go down to bit crush. Sometimes it's nice to up the bit crush uh, just to get like a more retro sound. I'm going to turn it up just a tiny bit. That's okay. I don't know if you can tell the difference if it's coming through on the audio, but this sounds pretty good compared to... That's the original, and then if I turn it up to like 0.3, that's the new one. And I like that one pretty good. That's a pretty good sound. Just so you're aware, I'm going to play some of the other presets on here. Let's go to the hit slash hurt preset. There's a classic like 8-bit hit noise. Um, we can go to the jump noise, the jump preset. That's kind of a crazy one. I don't know if I would use that one. Yeah, the jumps on this preset <laughs> maybe aren't the greatest, but you could always dial it in or find a new one. Um, how about explosion? That's okay. There we go. That is a classic old-timey explosion noise. I really like that one. Um, BFXR is nice, too, because it comes with all these, I don't know, like little tutorial things. Like on the pickup slash coin thing, it says, try messing with the waveforms to get your own sound. So it leads you in the right direction to figuring out all this audio stuff. And uh, yeah, that's why I really like BFXR. We have links and tools uh, to generators like this in the Discord under Tools and Resources channel. So yeah, I'd encourage you to go check that out. And that would be a great way to make a submission for this episode's Game Dev Challenge. The next option is to actually record your own sounds. And this is the part that I'm still experimenting with. 
I've done everything from making sounds with my mouth to recording broken vegetables, like for a crunchy hit noise, uh, to sliding a butter knife on a wine glass to make a draw sword noise. I have had admittedly mixed results. Sometimes it works great, and sometimes it sounds pretty amateurish. Here's an example I made for my game Titan Spear. It's, uh, it's supposed to be like ancient caveman chanting. Ho, ha, chi. And here's another example from a racing game I made called Power Slide Grand Prix. And this is supposed to be when your car bumps into the walls of the track. Both of these I've made with Audacity and just a microphone, and I recorded sound effects either of me chanting and chanting with like holding my nose closed or standing far away, and I layered a bunch of those together for the chant. And for the car crash one, I just like smashed random things into the microphone um, and tried to get a bunch of different noises and layered that together. And yeah, I usually do something like this and experiment with filters and effects to alter the sound to my liking. And like I said, I think the chants came out pretty good, but the car crash sound came out a little, I don't know, like weak. So yeah, there's a great deal of experimenting on my part, and I'm sure this is the kind of skill that you get better at with practice. I try to Google folly artists and tutorials for reference, uh, but it's kind of a niche thing, so maybe f for a later episode, when I know more, I can do a deep dive on recording your own sound effects. But for now, you're just going to have to live with experimenting on your own. Lastly, there's always sound effect packs you can buy. These can be really nice and a convenient way to get those audio juice nooks and cranny sounds. Especially stuff like menu ticks where you can kind of mix and match anything together. I don't think an audio pack would work the greatest for sort of core gameplay sounds. Like yeah, you can use them, but it's something that maybe ideally you'd want to be designed and custom for your game. Although I'm sure you could work in things like a generic gunfire sound, I just prefer to, I don't know, make my own gameplay-oriented sounds. What you have to remember about making sound effects is that it's just as much an art as making sprites. And the thing about art is everyone has their own techniques, methods, and styles. That's the part that makes your art your art. So I hope this section of the episode introduced you into some ways of making sound effects, but what you gotta understand is this is by no means the only way to do it. It would be like me telling you how to draw a sprite. I can introduce you to ways to do it and the ways that I do it, but in the end you're gonna have to find what's right for you, and your art is probably not going to look like my art because we're just two different people. What I would encourage you to do is to get out there and try making sound effects on your own. And there's no better opportunity right now than the Game Dev Challenge. So just get a head start on that and join the Discord and submit some of your work. I think you'll find that it's easy to get started making sound effects, um, but it's the kind of thing that will take a while to master. But if you start now, you'll be making great sound effects for your games in no time. Let's recap what we talked about today. 
Today we talked about sound effects for video games. Remember that sound effects are an additional layer of feedback on top of the visuals. We discussed sort of two categories of sound effects. More gameplay-oriented stuff, like spatial audio cues. These are things that guide you to loot or maybe give you information about things you can't see. And audio juice stuff. This is stuff like pickup sounds, a flashy sound to sell a critical hit, or menu ticks. Remember that gameplay-oriented sound effects are great for showing the player something they can't actually see, often making use of 3D spatial audio. And audio juice is just a nice bit of polish that improves the quality of your game. In the second half of this episode, we talked about ways to get sound effects. You could make your own using a sound effect generator. There's lots of good ones out there, but I use one called BFXR. Uh, We have links to that one and more in the tools and resource channel in the community discord. And remember, with the sound effects generators, they come with preset settings. So all you got to do is find the setting that's close and then dial in the sound from there to what you want to get. You also can record your own live sounds. And this is a little bit harder, but basically you can use something like Audacity to record live sounds and then use them in your game. It requires some audio recording knowledge and a little bit of technique. But if you know what you're doing and with a little bit of practice, it can lead to some really good results. Another option to get sound effects is to buy pre-made sound effects. In my opinion, this works great for audio juice, things like menu ticks and other little nooks and cranny sounds. But for gameplay-oriented audio, you might want something a little more custom. But I guess that's really up to whatever project you're working on. And lastly, what I want you to remember is that sound effects is just as much of an art as drawing sprites, and it's going to take practice and some personal touches to find out what's right for you and what works for you. So I suggest you figure that out by experimenting on your own and practicing. With that, I think I'm going to end the 50th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said in the intro, I couldn't imagine uh, the Game Dev Field Guide getting as big as it is now. And I really appreciate people listening to me talk about something that I'm very passionate about. If you think about it, 50 episodes is like 24 hours. If we, Yeah, about 24 hours of me just rambling about game dev. And there's lots of people who have listened to all 24 hours of that. So that's just crazy to me. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to show my appreciation to anyone who's ever listened to any Game Dev Field Guide episode. I want to thank all the people over at the community Discord. It's grown to a really nice place, a really genuinely helpful place to new game devs and even intermediate game devs. I have even learned some things myself. I want to thank all of our patrons who generously donate money to the show to pay for the distribution costs and the microphone costs and all the little tiny things that come along with operating a podcast. And uh, yeah, with that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli, and here's to 50 more episodes of the Game Dev Field Guide.